Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for the final message in our series, Knockout, How to Win in Life. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil has us take a look at what to do when you get hit below the belt. Join us as Pastor Dave shows us how to cope and bounce back when someone says hurtful things or they're unfair to us. In effect, they're hitting below the belt. Welcome to Bay Hills. <laughs> you know, the term, the term hitting below the belt is a boxing term. Uh, it is considered to be a cheap shot. It is considered to be unsportsmanlike. It's a low blow, and it is not within the bounds of the rules of boxing. What's interesting about that term or the phrase, hitting below the belt, is that it is, been, it is used as an idiom. We use it in everyday language to kind of refer to the same thing when, when people uh, give us a cheap shot and when people hurt us when it's you know, not deserved and when they say things that's hurtful. We, we refer to it as hitting below the belt, right? And, uh, you know, whether it's in boxing or whether it's in life, however you use the phrase, hitting below the belt is unacceptable. And it's unacceptable because, as you saw in the video, uh, getting hit below the belt hurts, right? You know, we just got that from America's Funniest Home Videos and everything. I, I think it's interesting. Each service, I was watching everybody as, as the video was going on. I think it's pretty interesting. All the guys are watching like, oh, oh. All the girls are like, ah. It's not very funny. It hurts, right? When you get hit below the belt, it hurts. And that's what we're talking about today. We're wrapping up our series, Knockout, How to Win in Life. And we're talking about, the, the title is, Hitting Below the Belt when, when Others Play Unfair. The reality is, is that every once in a while, someone's going to give you a cheap shot. Um, it's, for some of you, it's happened recently. For some of you, uh, uh, maybe a little while ago. But either way, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. You've got to learn how to deal with those situations in life. When, when someone is unfair to you, um, you, you've got to learn how to cope and how to bounce back. And so that's what we're going to talk about as we wrap up our series. If you have your Bibles, turn to page 344, Nehemiah chapter 4. Page 344, Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, as you're turning there, let me give you kind of the background of the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a Jewish guy. He's working as a cupbearer in Babylon. So he's, a, he's displaced and, and working in a different country. And uh, he's got his green card. He's, he's working there for the, for, the, for the king. And he asks the king permission to go back to his hometown of Jerusalem because they got a major problem in Jerusalem. And the problem is, is that the city wall has been destroyed. It has been broken down. And it has caused two problems. One, it's a security problem. And the, the issue is that any army can come in at any point in time and kind of plunder the city. So there's a security problem. But there's also an emotional problem going on. If you read chapter 1, it says that the people of Jerusalem were in great disgrace. They were discouraged. They're like, look, look at us. I mean, we can't even take care of our city, you know. But we're the laughing stock of the region. So he's got these two major issues. So, so Nehemiah, who's a, who's a natural-born leader and has got all these contacts because he works for the king, he's like, let me go back. And let me, you know, take a sabbatical and I'll rebuild the wall. So he, he's allowed to go back. In the first couple, two, three chapters, things are going well. People are like, it's about time someone rallied the troops and we got this thing going. But if, you, if you've arrived to Nehemiah chapter 4, you'll, you'll see just by the title that we got problems coming ahead. It says, opposition to the rebuilding. And we are introduced to a guy called Sambalat. So three times this guy 
in the next couple chapters is just cheap shot after cheap shot after cheap shot. And it starts right here. What I'm going to do in chapter 4, I'm going to show you what kind of cheap shot Sambalat did and see if you can identify with someone. Very quickly, notice how the people responded. And then most importantly, how do you and I respond? What does God want us to do when someone does or says something that is, that is kind of out of bounds and not acceptable. So Nehemiah chapter 4, just kind of follow along and, and read with me. I have it on the screen or in your Bibles. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. He was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they, will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life and those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, Well, what are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down the wall of stones. Now, in these first three verses, we have an example of six different cheap shots. If you're jotting down notes, you you can write these down. Let's put them on the screen. I'll I'll walk it through with you. The first one, let's start in the top right-hand corner. Very obviously, it says they, they were ridiculed. We all know what ridicule is, right? We were all in junior high or senior high at some point in time. The the truth is that it doesn't just happen when you're a kid. Ridicule is psychological warfare when someone makes fun of you, someone teases you. You're you're, You're an ignoramus, man. What is wrong with you, right? And they're just teasing you. It's psychological warfare, right? The reason it is so effective is because it goes right after your sense of self worth, it goes right after your sense of self esteem. You're being teased, right? It doesn't end there. From ridicule, it goes to insults. Now, I want you to notice, right after it says, he ridicules the Jews, notice the next phrase, which gives us the context of making it even worse. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what, what feeble, who are these feeble Jews? Why, why does he insult them in front of a crowd? Why, why, why does he do that? He does that because it's more effective. It's always more effective. If you're going to insult someone and ridicule them, if you want it to cut deep, right, you do it in front of a group of people. If you just, you, you know, one, if, you go, so if there was one person today, you know, and they were dressed a little funny, and I said, man, you're, you're dressed a little funny today, man. What's wrong with you? You know, they would be like, I feel kind of, kind of weird, pastor, to say that to me. But if, okay, if I right now said, man, look at this person right down here. They are dressed awfully weird. Let's all look at them right now. It would feel even worse, right? When you, when you ridicule someone in front of a crowd, when you insult them in front of a crowd, it's even worse. And in this case, you, you guys are a bunch of feeble Jews. You guys are a bunch of losers, right? Bunch of losers. You're weak. You're sorry. Excuse for a construction crew or a Jew. That's what he's doing. He's just, he's insulting them. And, and these questions go on. And then it goes into criticism. Oh, why are you restoring the wall? What, what are you doing? I know the wall is broken down, but we got this deal with the people in the armies and the countries surrounding us. We slip them a little bit of money and they won't attack us. I, I know we're just playing possum and, and it doesn't feel good. But it's just, can't, you, can't you work on the parks in Jerusalem? The parks need a little bit of work. You know? they can, can't we work on the streets in Jerusalem? They need to be repaved. Why do you got to work on the wall? They're just criticizing them. They're criticizing them for rebuilding the wall. We don't normally respond well to criticism, do we? When someone criticizes us, ridicules us, insults us, we, our temptation is to fight back. One of my favorite characters to read on um, historically and from a leadership perspective is Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was the prime minister of England during World War II. He was one of the first leaders to stand up to the Nazis and Adolf Hitler. And, and, and today he's a hero. 
right? Everybody looks to him as a great leader. But during the time that he was leading, he was greatly criticized by his very own people. There's one of the stories that is told about a member of parliament who went up to Hitler right in the middle of World War II and him standing up to the Nazis. And this member of parliament, she was a woman, and she, she went up to him and she said, Sir Winston, if, you, if I was your wife, I would, po- I would poison your morning tea. And Winston Churchill said to her, Ma'am, if you were my wife, I'm certain that I would drink my morning tea. <laughs> we don't like it when we get criticized, right? He's fighting back. So you go from ridicule to insults to criticism. Let's go down to the bottom here to, to taunting. I want you to notice this. Them. What? What are they going to offer sacrifices? They're taunting them. But I want you to notice specifically what kind of taunt it is. It is a religious taunt. What? What are you, like a bunch of church people or something? You guys going to do, do, do offer sacrifices to God? They're ridiculing and taunting them because of their walk with God. What? Why don't you guys just go have a prayer meeting or something? Why don't you just go read your Bible? That's what they're doing, right? And this is something that didn't just happen a couple thousand years ago. It happens today, right? They, they, they taunt you. It's a subtle remark. What are you, you going to go to church this weekend? What do you mean you can't go to the strip club? What's the big deal about this? It's, it's a taunt. It's a religious taunt. Okay? It's making fun of you because of your commitment to God. Okay? Let's go over to the left side of the screen on the bottom. Then there's sarcasm. What, are they going to finish in a day? Are they going to bring the stones back to life? Right? They're making fun of their hard work. Of course they're not going to finish in a day. But they make fun of their hard work. They make fun of the materials they're using. The stones, the heaps of rubble, burned as they are. You didn't even get your materials at Home Depot. They're just, they're just from like an old dilapidated house. You brought them over and you thought you could use them and recycle those materials. What do you guys think you're doing? It ends with mocking, right? And I want you to notice, it, it says right at the end, it says, Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side. It's interesting that Tobiah gets introduced. It starts with Sambalot, and now Tobiah, his buddy, shows up. Have you noticed that critics always seem to run in groups or pairs? Have you noticed this? They, they always congregate. They always run together. They, they feed off of one another. You know, you don't get teased and taunted by one person. Normally, it's a group of people, whether it's at the office or it's at school or whatever. And that, now Tobiah gets in on the act. Right? Hey, can't you just see him there? You know, all the Jews, they're doing the best they can. They're working away, you know. By the way, they are not construction people at all. They are farmers, and they are people that have shops in town. They're waiters. You know, the previous chapter says there's perfume makers. They don't have a clue what they're doing. They're like, just, we'll show up, we'll do the best we can. So they're working away, and you got Tobiah and Sambalat sitting back there, you know, and they got his monster drink there. He's eating some flower seeds, you know. Look at these guys. Look at these losers, what they're doing, you know. And then he ends up, he goes, he goes what, what they're building, even a fox could climb up on it, and he would break down the walls. Tobiah, man, you're hilarious. You're right man, they're a bunch of losers. That's what's going on right here. Now, I want you to notice the first six cheap shots all have one common characteristic. They're all verbal attacks. They haven't lifted a hand. They haven't struck them. They haven't done anything. They're all verbal attacks. Reminds me of what James says um, when he says that our words are like a fire. They are like restless evil. They are like deadly poison. I know I'm talking this morning about people who give you cheap shots, but let me just turn it on its head just for one moment and ask you a question. Do any of the words on the screen describe your words? 
Or let's, we could add a few. We could add um, cussing and having an unclean mouth. That certainly is not acceptable in the Bible. We could add gossip. We could add lying. It's amazing how creative we can sin with the words of our mouth. Why should you watch what comes out of your mouth? Two reasons. Two reasons. One is because we just say it hurts when people do that to, to us. And it hurts when you do it to others. What's worse is that you're using some of these words and being, being, using your mouth inappropriately with people you love the most. They're called your family. It makes it even worse. But second of all, you do know the Bible says one of the greatest characteristics of being a witness for Jesus Christ is what comes out of your mouth. What you do with your words. So you have to be incredibly careful. Incredibly careful. Okay? Now, just to be complete, I just want to make sure you know that this isn't, this isn't the only cheap shots that happen. Let me just read to you verse 7. Notice there's at least two more there. Verse 7, when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod. Look, they keep get, get congregating, right? They heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead, that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So you've got two additional issues. You've got anger. Oh, by the way, this is the third instance in these first verses that this guy clearly has got a temper problem. Verse 1, Sambalat was angry and greatly incensed. He, he was the kind of guy when, you know, when, when, when they don't agree with you, they get right in your face, man, and they start sweating in their veins and sticking out. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Right? What is he doing? He's trying to intimidate them. He's trying to intimidate them. And there are people like that in our life, isn't there? People in our family, people at our work, some of our friends, they have no control of their temple. My, my observation, this is just an observation, nine out of ten times that we become angry, it is not according to the standards of this book. God says that anger sometimes is appropriate. My instinct is nine out of ten times the way we show anger is not appropriate. It's more like this kind of angry. So not only is there anger issues, but also they're going to come down, we're going to fight you, we're going to stir up trouble against you. It's the threat of violence. It's the threat of violence. Now, we've got five or six different verbal attacks. Now we've got anger and the threat of violence. Let me just say this. These kind of things, these cheap shots, don't just happen when you're in junior high. They happen even today. They happen at your office. They happen in your family. Sometimes they happen at church. They happen on your softball team. They happen with your friends. It happens all the time. People giving you cheap shots. I want to ask you a question. Maybe you can think of it or not. The last time someone was unfair to you or you felt they did or said something that was a cheap shot, how did it make you feel? How would you feel on the inside? It's interesting how Nehemiah and the Jewish people feel. We're told how they feel in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, after all this had happened, the strength of the laborers is giving out. First thing they experience is fatigue. Have you ever found that to be, especially when someone is constantly verbally on you, they're insulting you, they're ridiculing you, they're mocking you, it's on and on and on and on and on, right? It's just diarrhea of the mouth, and after a while, you're just like, I'm tired. I'm just sick and tired of you, right? They're emotionally tired, and they're physically tired. The strength of the laborers is giving out, 
and there's so much rubble. I mean, they're, they're sitting there, they're going, you know what? We're doing the best we can. We're, we're, I'm, not a, I'm not a carpenter. I don't know anything about, about building walls. I, you know, I, I'm a waiter in town at, you know, at the local Chevys, and I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to do the best I can. Look at all this garbage. Look at all this rubble. And they're discouraged. They're downright discouraged. There was so much rubble, then they start to say, we cannot rebuild the wall. And I just, just a couple months ago, they thought they could. They thought they could. And now, like, I don't think we can do it. And they begin to doubt themselves and have self-doubt. And then finally, at the end of verse 11, it says, and then our enemies have said that they're going to come and they're going to kill them and stop them at their work. When someone gives you a cheap shot, when they hit you below the belt, that's some of the things you're going to feel. Don't play macho man. Don't think it doesn't hurt. No, it does hurt. In fact, the fact that it hurts tells me you're wired up correctly. God created you with a soul, with a heart, with feelings. It's okay. You can admit that. The fact is not that these don't come. The issue is now what are you going to do about them? Don't curl up on the couch and just resign yourself to the fact that, oh, life's terrible and people don't love me. No, you're going to do something about it. And that's what Nehemiah does, okay? Four key things you need to do in the midst of this. Write this down. First thing, rely on God. Rely on God. Verse 4 and 5 is a prayer. Now, Nehemiah, if you ever read the book of Nehemiah, it's a wonderful book. Um, Nehemiah is a great leader. Nehemiah is a praying fool. I mean that in a good way. He, he's a pray, he prays when there's good things going on. He prays when there's bad things going on. When he needs something, he prays. When something good happens, he prays. He's praying all the time, okay? And that's a good trait. This is one of nine prayers in the first eight chapters of the book of Nehemiah. But this prayer is very, very different than all of his other prayers, okay? He basically loses it in these two verses. He's praying to God and he loses it. Now, I'm going to read it for you and then explain it to you. So see if you can pick some of it up as we're even reading through it. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt. Don't blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, did you notice it starts really good? It starts really good. You know, Nehemiah has had a tough day. He really has. You know, he's been working under the sun. He's been coordinating all these, these crews to work. And, you know, he's just downright tired, right? And he goes home. He's planning on barbecuing some chicken, but he's just too tired. So he takes, a, you know, some, got some spaghetti that he's got leftovers. He just throws it in the microwave, right? He, so he's eating the leftover spaghetti. He's watching an episode of Law and & Order. And he's like, man, I think I'm just going to go to bed, man. I, I don't want to do anything else. So he goes upstairs and he, he brushes his teeth, you know. But because before he could tuck himself in the bed, he's a man of prayer. So he, he kneels down at, at his bed and he starts to pray, right? And it starts out really good. You know, he starts out, Dear God, as I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, it starts out good. And then he's like, he's like, By the way, God, did you hear what happened today? Did you hear about this Sambalat guy that showed up at the, at, at the construction strike? This Sambalat guy, dear God, he is driving me crazy. He, he is just, I, I cannot stand this guy. God, I, I need your help. I need your help. I mean, verse 4, I, what I need you to do, God, I, I need you to give him a case of poison oak. If you could just flatten his tire, break his leg, make his investments go south. If you could kill his pet or poison his food, something, God, anything like that, I would be good with. 
That's what he's praying for here, right? He, he goes nuts. Everything starts out good, and he goes postal. He, he literally does. He's like George Brett when they took the home run away from him. He's like Kanye West at the Emmys. He's like, you know, Mike Tyson biting Holyfield's ear. He's like Sinead O'Connor on Saturday Night Live. He loses it, right? He goes crazy. And he just, he keeps praying, right? M- middle of a, middle, end of verse 4. I love this. Dear God, it's not like you have to kill him or anything. But, but maybe if his house was burned down and a band of, of thieves would take him as a slave into a foreign land, I'd be okay with that. That's what he's asking for. Verse 5. If he asks for your forgiveness, dear God, don't forgive him too quickly. Oh, don't forgive him too quickly. Let him have it, God. If you could, you know, before you forgive him, kick him in the teeth, punch him in the gut, poke him in the eye, shove your foot so far up his... Sorry, God, I got a little out of control there. So anyway, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what his prayer is here. Have you ever had one of those prayers? Have you ever heard one of those prayers in your small group? You know, why don't we go around and <clears throat> let's share some prayer requests. And uh, well, I got, <clears throat> I got an issue with my coworker. You know, we're just not getting along. You know, hey, George, can you pray pray for that situation? I'd love to pray for that situation. Dear God, give that co-worker of Sister Sally the swine flu. Father, if you could, if you could just fire them for the job, have their car stolen. You should try that in small group some week to see how that goes over. What is going on here? Are we allowed to pray like this? I, I don't even know, but here's what I do know. The clear principle is that he's relying on God. It's really clear. One of the things you learn from this prayer is, I guess we're allowed to be honest with God. I mean, crazy, brutally honest. That's what he's asking for. When you read those words carefully, that's exactly the kind of stuff he's asking for. One of the things that, that, that I've realized as you study this prayer, when you are taunted, when you are ridiculed, when you are mocked, when you are insulted by others, don't take it out on people. Instead, talk it out with God. Let me say that again, because for some of you, you need to get that. You might even need to write it down. When people insult you, take advantage of you, give you a a cheap shot, don't take it out on people. Instead, talk it out with God. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4. Just write it in your margin. Let me read it to you. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be just like him. Don't do and say all that garbage that they did. You're no better than they are. No better than they are. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you have the guts to pray something like this about someone else, let me just give you a suggestion. Make sure your motive is God's glory, not just your comfort. Because I think he has the authority and, and, and to, to pray this because he's saying, God, I'm here because of you. I'm doing this whole construction project for your glory and your honor. And now basically people are showing up and are getting in the way of you and your ministry. So because of that, I've got some suggestions of what you might consider doing to Sambalot. So if you're going to pray this kind of prayer, make sure it's for God's glory. Whatever you do, rely on God. I want to show you one more thing. I want to show you verse 9. We're talking about prayer. I love this verse. Verse 9. I want you to notice. But we prayed to our God. Key word. Because just a couple verses higher, verse 4 and 5, we just read them. It's not a we prayer. It's just a me, Nehemiah prayer. If you really want to win in life, at some point in time, you've got to make sure your prayers are we prayers. You've got to get some other people involved. 
It can't just be me praying. No, I got to get some other people to pray with me. We prayed. And then look at We prayed to our God. And then this next word is wonderful. And. That's a very important word. We prayed and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. You see, it's not good enough. It's not acceptable for you to be super spiritual, go home and just pray about your problems. That's not acceptable. Dear God, I just, dear God, just please make sure no one breaks into my house, no one steals my stuff. And you better lock the door and maybe put an alarm on your house. Dear God, please not, don't let me get into an accident, right? And you better not drive like a maniac. Dear God, please give me a job. I really need a job. And you better send out some resumes. It's not just one or the other. You got to do both. I've mentioned this before. I, a wonderful quote, Martin Luther. Pray as though everything depends on God. Work as though everything depends on you. That's perfect. So rely on God, but get back to the wall, which is the second point. Point number two, write it down, refuse to quit. There are three verses here. I don't have them all for you on the screen, so you're going to have to follow along in, in the Bible. Look at verse 6. I love verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half his height. Stop right there. I think that's pretty interesting. Don't you find it interesting that they start getting tired and discouraged and worrisome and self-doubt when the wall is halfway made? I think that's an interesting detail. You start thinking about it. And isn't it true when you first start a project at home, it's really exciting? You know what we should do? We, we should redo the bathrooms. That would be awesome. Let's do the kitchen. Let's pull the cabinets out and let's go to Sears and put some new, new appliances in. I know what we should do. Let's re-landscape the entire backyard. It'll be awesome. Right? And then when you're halfway through the project, you're like, this sucks, man. Who came up with this idea? Uh, I didn't want to do that. Right? I thought the kitchen was fine the way it was. It's very hard when you get halfway through the project. Right? When you get towards the end of the project, you get motivated because you're like, oh, man, this is going to look really cool when it's done. Right? But halfway through, it's not easy. Right? We built the wall till it was reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. I think that's an interesting phrase. It's interesting because it doesn't say with all their skills. If you had the time, I think one of the most interesting chapters in this book is chapter 3. It's one of those skip-over chapters that you and I never read. Because you start reading the first four or five verses and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just name after name after name after name. You're like, this is boring. I'm going to skip over this. Until you realize that the names of the people that were working there also give the description of what they did. Like I said, they are not professional builders. They are not carpenters. They're school teachers. They're perfume makers, verse 8. They're waiters. They're people that, you know, have office workers. They don't have a clue what they're doing. But they're like, you know what, I love God, I'm going to do, uh, you know what, I'll show up and, and, and I'll, I'll work with all my heart. If someone gives me some, I'll work with all my heart, I'll give it all I got. It, when I saw that phrase, it reminded me, I just saw it this past Thursday, it seems like it's on every week on TNT, Rudy. Have you guys seen the movie Rudy? It's about this guy, true story, this guy is five foot three, he wants to play for Notre Dame football, he's not very fast, he's not very strong, he's not, you know, he's not very tall, right? But he, he works with all his heart and eventually he gets to play a little bit. Or Notre Dame football. 
You know what? Some of us are just like that. We're not that fast. We're not that tall. We're not that strong. You know, I'm, I'm not that gifted compared to someone else. Not that smart. But I'll work with all my heart. I'll give it everything I got. And then you see in verse 15, same thing. Verse 15, when the enemies heard that we were aware of the plot and the God had frustrated, we all returned to the wall, each one to his own work. You want one of the best ways to recover from discouragement, one of the best ways to recover from self-doubt, is don't curl up on the couch, get back out there and do your job. Don't let them win. Don't let the enemy win. Give it your best shot anyway. We're going to go back to work. I love verse 21. So we continued to work. With half the men holding their spears. Okay, since they want to attack us, we're going to about half the crew is going to have to, you know, guard the, guard the wall, guard the workers. Half of them holding their spears. And now notice, from the first light of dawn until the stars come out. When they first started the project, can you imagine how that conversation went? You know, Nehemiah's like, you know, we're going to rebuild the wall. I need some volunteers. Well, how's the, what's the schedule like? Well, what we're going to do... We're going to meet at the, at the construction site around, you know, let's just say 8.15, 8.30-ish. You know, whenever you're able to make it there, I'll have some bagels. You know, we'll have some Starbucks coffee. You know, we'll talk and, you know, you know maybe have a little devotional. We'll talk about what's going on. I'll send everybody out. You know, we'll break around 11.30. I'll have Subway sandwiches for everybody. We can come back around 1. You know, we'll work till 4-ish, you know, whatever we can. Not now. Oh, no, no. No, I need you guys there when it gets light out. I need you there at about 6.10. And, and, and we're going to work, work all the way through the day until the stars come out. I don't know what time of year it was, but let's just say, I, we're going to have to have you stay till about 8.20-ish. You see, sometimes, you know what replaces talent? It's just hard work. Just work your butt off. So what if they knock you to the ground? Get up and work twice as hard. Do not allow the enemy to win. Keep fighting. Keep working. Keep trying. Turn a bad situation around. You know, we we throw around these, oh, take a lemon and make lemonade. But the reality is that a lot of people have done that, and so can you. A couple just local stories. One of the greatest construction uh, projects in the Bay Area... And with greatest impact was the construction of the Golden Great Bridge. It's been talked about all around the world in terms of what the Golden Great Bridge created and how it was made. But they had a major problem with the Golden Great Bridge. When they were creating the Golden Gate Bridge, the, one of the problems is they had a lot of the workers falling off and dying. Right? And, and, and the reason for it is, you, this is just one of hundreds of pictures you can find on Google. I mean, they're way up there. Right? They're way up there. And you can see, you know, with the, with the winds and everything, and, or they're reaching out and they're trying to attach, a, 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 you know, something, and, and they fall. And they, lot, the guys were dying. A lot of guys were dying. But uh, an additional problem, not only the loss of life, but an additional problem is that the rest of the workers were so afraid of dying that they were being super cautious. They're like, you know, I'm not getting to the edge. You know, I'm holding on. And they weren't, they weren't getting much work done. And the whole project was, was like grinding to a halt because of their fear of falling. So I guess the, the people who were managing the project got together and they came up with a solution. You know what their solution was? Their solution was very simply to do this. Let's put it up there. Build a net. Build a net. You know what happened? As soon as they built that net, not only did people stop dying... You know the other thing that happened? The project got completed in half the time. 
Keep working. Keep fighting. No matter what happens, keep going. Another example, the Franciscans, a a, a local order uh, from the Catholics, they they were the first to make muscatel or or grow muscatel grapes here in the States, in Northern California, in order to make muscatel wine. One year there was a severe drought, and uh, all the grapes on the vine just, we don't know what we're going to do with them. One guy had an idea. They took all the shriveled grapes off the vine, they took them into town, and they sold them as Peruvian delicacies. And that was the beginning of the Sun-Made Raisin Corporation. Get back up on your feet and keep fighting. Let me give you a couple more. Number three, reinforce your weak points. Reinforce your weak points. Look at verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. I think that's interesting. So, okay, so we got this part of the, this part of the wall is looking good. It's high. By the way, archaeologists have now uncovered this wall that they rebuilt in Jerusalem. It was nine feet wide. So these perfume makers, homemakers, and waiters did a pretty decent job. This wall, it's looking good. It's pretty tall. Now, over here, it's not looking good. So what we're going to do is because it's really low over here, we're going to post the guard over there. Because if they're going to attack, this is where we're going to come from. So they post it at the lowest point, at the exposed places. Can I ask you a question? Um, what are your weak points? What are your weak points in your marriage? Let's say there's 15, 20 different characteristics of a healthy marriage. You know what I mean. Good communication, uh, able to handle conflict a healthy sexual relationship, parenting issues, financial issues, on and on and on, right? What's your weak point? Well, I'm not sure I know. Well, that's a problem because your enemy knows. They're not going to waste time trying to get you where you're strong. Maybe you should just be honest about it with your spouse, talk about it and go, you know what, We're we're not doing that great over here. Maybe we need to put some energy into it. How about where are you weakest spiritually? Temptation. You know it. You do. You know your weakness. My question is, are you reinforcing it? Are you posting defenses there? You see, one of the ways you win in life is not by scoring more points, not by kicking more field goals, not by hitting more three-point shots. It's by playing defense. Play some defense. Because the enemy's coming at you. I don't know how better you could say it in Ephesians chapter 6. He goes, you better put on the armor of God. He's coming at you. You better play some defense. And oh, by the way, all the armor of God, like seven of the eight pieces are all defensive. Just one offensive one, the sword. You better learn how to play some defense. You better learn how to protect your soul. You better learn how to protect your finances. I don't know. I don't know where the money goes. Well, you better figure it out. You better learn how to protect your marriage. You better learn how to protect your kids. Play some defense. Learn what to do. Let me just show you a couple of other things. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officials, officers posted themselves behind uh, all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials, notice this, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. So I got my spear and I got my hammer. 
If you are trying to live for Jesus Christ, if you are trying to do something good, you better learn to hold both. If you are trying to build a Christian marriage, if you are trying to live for Jesus, you can expect not only are you going to try and build, but you better hold on to your weapon at the same time. You're going to learn how to, you're going to better learn how to do both. You better learn how to do both. Look at verse 19. When I said this to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. I mean, the wall is so big. You've got crews over there, and you've got crews over there. We've got another crew over there. A lot of crews. And we've, we put some defenses up. However, however, verse 20, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet... Join us there. Our God will fight for us. So what they decided to do is we're going to have, we're going to have um, you know, different crews working everywhere. We're going to post the guard. And then we're, we're going to have a guy with trumpet at these different places. When you hear the trumpet, it means the enemy's attacking. When you hear the trumpet, you come running. You come running to wherever the trumpet is. What's the principle? Don't fight your battles alone. Don't try and fight alone. Why? Why, why are we trying to do that? Fight with someone else. Get other people to be right alongside you. Last one. We've got to wrap it up. Verse 14. Raise the morale. Verse 14. After I looked things over, after I made a plan, after I established what we were going to do, after we prayed, after all these things, I stood up, said to the nobles, officials, and rest of the people. That's his organizational chart. Right? The officials... Uh, and the nobles, officials, rest of the people. It's basically, he's like a coach at halftime during the football game. They're down by two touchdowns. He can see in the eyes of his teammates, of his players, they don't think they can win. And he gives them a pep talk. He gives them a pep talk. Now, I just, to me, this strikes me as interesting. Isn't the pep talk supposed to come number one? I mean, isn't that supposed to way it work? Someone gives us a pep talk and you're, you're right, I, I, I need to send out resumes, I need to, I need to pray more, I, I need... Not in this story. Get to work and then either learn to give yourself a pep talk or surround yourself with people who are willing to motivate you. Motivation is a powerful tool. I just find it interesting. It comes last in the story. It comes last in the story. So, so let's read on. He says four things to him and we're going to wrap it up with this. One... Don't be afraid. They've got four problems. They've got discouragement. They've got self-doubt. They're worried. And then there's also fatigue and, 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 and they're fear, afraid. Why does he only talk about fear? Why doesn't he try and get them encouraged? Why doesn't he try and help them you know, be strengthened? Why does he deal only with fear in his pep talk? I, I don't know why other than to say what I've discovered is that fear is incredibly paralyzing. The people that I notice that live their lives afraid, with worry in their life, always anxious, are the same people who are sitting on the sidelines of life, playing it safe, while everyone else is trying to make it. I, I don't think that's a healthy way to live. I don't think Nehemiah thinks so either. Don't be afraid. At least don't live your way that way. Fight your fear. Go, go for it. Don't be afraid. Then he says, why? Why? Because you can remember the Lord who is great and awesome. That word, remember, has been a rallying cry for many wars. Texas, remember the Alamo. If they could survive, we could do it. Remember the Alamo. World War II. Remember Pearl Harbor. We're going to go for it. 
In this case, remember the Lord. In fact, that becomes such a significant rallying cry that God establishes it as a central theme for the Christian church in this thing called the Lord's Supper or communion. And he says, every once in a while when you get together, I want you to do just that right there. I want you to remember the Lord. I want you to to, to look at your daily battles, but before you do that, look back and remember the battle that Jesus Christ Christ fought for you on the cross. And if he was able to win that battle, there's no reason you can't win what you're fighting with. Remember. Remember who we have on our side. Don't be afraid. And this is how I'm going to end the whole series. You go, well, it's kind of a strange series about boxing and fighting. Not really. Look, Look at how the ends. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers. And fight for your sons. And fight for your daughters. And fight for your wives. And fight for your homes. The two primary symbols in the Bible to refer to us. One is a family. That's why some churches, they talk about, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, Brother Sally and a family. Okay? The second one is... You guys all right? I'm almost done here. Let me go. The second one is an army. An army. It refers to us as soldiers. As soldiers. When's the last time you thought of yourself as a soldier? You're a soldier. Don't roll over and play dead. The enemy's going to come after you. You pick up your armor and fight. You fight for your marriage and your family. You fight to turn your finances around. You fight for the health of your soul. Fight. There's one reference to boxing in the Bible. One. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he says this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this. A boxer isn't effective when they just punch the air or shadow box. I'm not much into boxing, but every once in a while you see it on ESPN or something. These guys, they stand in front of a mirror and they just, you know, they look pretty and they punch at the air. But that doesn't win you any fights. No, you've got to get in the ring. You've got to fight. Shadow boxing isn't going to do anything for us. In other words, coming together and just talking about it, it's not going to do anything for us. What's going to matter is when you walk out those doors, you're willing to get in the ring and fight. Fight the good fight. Run the good race. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to pray for those uh, right now who, um, who feel like they're in the midst of a fight. I want to pray right now for those who feel like maybe they've uh, got a cheap shot from someone, maybe at work, maybe in their family, wherever it may be. And I pray that you would encourage them and that you would strengthen them. Father, there's a lot we covered this morning looking at Nehemiah, and I pray that you would um, have one or two things really stick out in our mind of what it means to win in life. Win in life in a way that honors you. Father, I I pray for those that are being verbally abused. Verbally abused at work or at school or at home or whatever it is. And it's just hard to take. And I pray that you would give them the courage to act in a way that is honoring to you. And the strength to keep keeping on. We love you and we thank you for what you've taught us in this series. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, 
You can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.